you're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Tactical Kitchen Podcast. And today, we are going to talk all about the carnivore experiment that we have been doing. So we've been doing for about 45 days, is that right? As we're recording this, this is day 48, okay. I believe. So we've been doing a, uh, some people call it a carnivore diet. It's really, we call it an all-animal protein diet because we're eating exclusively animal products. So we include eggs, dairy, uh, butter, and then a lot of steak. Chicken, sausage, that's the main things that we've been eating for the past 48 days just to see how it affects our body because we were already keto. We'd heard a lot of presentations. Actually, we have gone to several um, different types of events or uh, organizations like Low Carb USA that host a lot of doctors, researchers, and different experts in this field. And they have been talking recently a lot about how plants, especially Dr. Georgia Ede, who says plants might be killing us. Right. So along with that, that research did some also historical research, uh, reading about past uh, you know societies and races and how they survived and what they ate, and kind of came to the conclusion that we pretty much think we can survive and get all the vitamins and minerals we need just from animal products. So that's the experiment that we've been doing. Um, I'm, I'm sure everybody's heard that you know you're going to get scurvy, um, you're not going to get all the vitamins and minerals you need, uh, and some other myths out there. So we're going to talk about debunking those myths. A big one that people will say is, how are you going to get all your vitamins and minerals if you're just eating animal products? Right. And what they don't tell you is that your body, uh, if you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, we don't have the enzymes to break down cellulose. So when you eat, let's say, let's just take carrots, for example, which we know they're not a typically keto-friendly food, so don't scream and yell at us about that. (laughs) But let's just take a carrot for example, and your body has like a specific form of vitamin A. We all say you eat carrots so you can get your vitamin A, but your body really can only absorb the preformed vitamin A called retinol. And if you eat a carrot, a carrot is a pro-vitamin A that is in need of being converted to retinol in your body. And this takes a lot of processes, and it happens up in the upper GI tract and the small intestine area. And if your digestion's not like on point, then you're going to have trouble converting that carotenoid into a an, an absorbable form of vitamin A, and which was something that you know, was very interesting to learn when all of our life we've been told you need the five fruits and vegetables a day. Um, You need to eat your leafy greens. You need to eat all these different fruits and vegetables to get these nutrients. But they're not actually even in the readily absorbable form of the nutrients that we need. 
another specific thing that you mentioned was that we don't have the proper enzyme. So all the nutrients and a plant food are bound up in the cellulose. We can't break down cellulose. We don't have that enzyme to do that. So when we eat that, basically those nutrients are in what we call nutrient jail. Like they're bound up and they can't get out. But to get to those vitamins, it's very difficult. When you're eating vegetables, those minerals and those vitamins are not bioavailable. You have to go through a very long process to even break them down to get to them. And what we found is that in animal protein, in, in meat and eggs and dairy and all that, the, all those are bioavailable. So you can process them very easily. So that's a big difference between eating yeah. all that stuff. So just with vitamin A, for, in, for uh, instance, animal products already contain the absorbable form of vitamin A, the retinol, without you having to process anything. So one of the things I found out as well that uh, what vegetables absolutely have none of is vitamin D. Right. You and have, how many people are vitamin D deficient? Right. Most people are vitamin D deficient and they think, well, I should go outside and get some more sun. That's a very difficult way to get your vitamin D. And if you just <laughs> eat animal products, animal tissue, you get the proper amount of vitamin D. There is the process in which we create vitamin D through that sun exposure. We also need cholesterol for that, that specific uh, biochemical reaction to take place. We have to have cholesterol in our body mm-hmm. for it to even convert to vitamin D. So when we eat... Fruits and vegetables only, you know, especially people who want to be vegan or, and I know there are people who need to do that maybe for religious purposes or even for ethical purposes. It's their, it's how they, right. they feel very passionately about that and we don't want to knock that. But you have to really be careful if that's your path because you're going to have a lot of deficiencies in areas like vitamin D, B vitamins, and all these different things that are only really available, readily available in animal food. Right. So uh, B vitamin deficiency is another huge thing, and that happens a lot with vegans. They'll become deficient in vitamin B. And you want to go over some of the symptoms of being vitamin B deficient? One of the big ones, emotional instability. Um, so, which is a hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. When we look at people being... Um, emotionally unstable, that's that's just a lot of times we can trace that back to a vitamin deficiency, which happens through maybe not ingesting those vitamins through the proper nutrients, but it also happens through different medications that deplete those vitamins out of our body. And, you know, vitamin B deficiency leads to a lot of different uh different issues that we might have. But that big one right now, the hot topic would be emotional instability, um, depression, grouchiness. Uh. <laughs> right. So you don't want to be around someone very long that has a vitamin B deficiency because and they're going to be emotionally, well, could be emotionally unstable and have some uh, issues that they're dealing with. So Yeah, exactly. That's besides the energy deficiency that you might have if you're low on B12. A lot of people ex- have experienced that. And know about the vitamin B12 deficiency that that can really play a role in your energy level. And when you're looking at where you, where do you get these B vitamins, you know? You get B12 from the the best and only source are your animal foods. Right. So again, Going back to you're getting the proper vitamins from animal foods, animal tissue. 
Um, another thing that I've heard and that people always tell you is that if you eat only meat, you're going to be acidic. Yes. And um, now, knowing what I know, I know that you can't alkalinize your body through diet. Right. Your body has certain mechanisms that manage your acidity and your alkaline in your blood. And the food you eat is not going to affect that because your body is going to manage it. So eating a meat diet is not going to cause your blood to be acidic. It's You cannot do it. It's just not possible. Right. So we're not talking about, let's talk about what we ate. Because some people might be listening to this or watching this and thinking, oh, they ate like 10 pounds of meat a day. Right. And I've heard that. I've, I've heard people doing a carnivore diet and they're eating like five to 10 pounds of meat a day. And just let me tell you, that's not us. We are not doing that. No, I couldn't do that. I don't don't have the room for that. (laughs) Steaks are really, really filling, especially with all the butter. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we we take in a high amount of fat. And so we're taking in pretty much fat and protein. And what you have to understand is when you're taking in a lot of fat, fat is a much denser energy or fuel source than carbohydrates and Mm -hmm. even protein. It's double the calories per gram. So you have to eat less food to get the same amount of calories. Right. And so for us, just like a typical day, Mm -hmm. let's just run through a typical day because people are probably curious, what do you eat on a carnivore-style diet? Um, A lot of times, one thing that we did not give up that is not an animal source is our coffee. Um, We do still have coffee. We put fat in it, though. Yeah, we do. So a lot of times we would start our morning with what some people know is a fat coffee or a bulletproof-style coffee. That and, well, I did leave out one thing. We do still, in the morning, use an exogenous ketone product. Right. We we believe in <clears throat> ketones for their healing properties, so that's a different podcast altogether. Different podcast altogether, exactly. So we'll talk about that at a later time. We do use our coffee and our ketones in the morning, then... We would typically, like we ate at about 12.30 today, Mm -hmm. we usually get up about 6.30, 6.45, have our fat coffee, then maybe eat lunch about noon. Lunch is usually a few eggs, a couple of eggs, maybe three or four for him, a couple of eggs for me, Um, a little bit of sausage, and everything that we get, we try to source it in um, to where we have grass-fed, pasture-raised, all those good things. We try to stay local with our meat. We do. We try to stay local. We are fortunate to have a dairy that is close to us that provides grass-fed, pasture-raised mm-hmm. meats. The K-Bar Dairy. K-Bar Dairy. We'll put, a, we'll put a link to those guys. Yes. And K-Bar we, Dairy. We also, if you're local, they also have raw and pasteurized dairy products, which are very healthful if you tolerate dairy. Um, so we start with that, with eggs, maybe some... Uh, Pork sausage. Uh, today we had a little bit of leftover steak instead. Mm-hmm. Plenty of butter. And then dinner would be uh, either a New York strip or a uh, grass-fed, uh, very fatty beef uh, burger with maybe cheese and bacon, or it's a ribeye. That's pretty much the gist of it. We might throw in, instead of a sausage with our breakfast, we might have a pork chop from the dairy. But that's really about it. There's some cheese in uh, a few meals, but not every meal. I don't go to. We don't go too heavy on cheese. And but the, that's the, really it. And that's it. And that's not a lot of food. It's not. And what you find is is that you know you talk to the people that eat every couple hours, uh, which I used to be one of those. 
you find that they're like, how can you go that long without eating? Well, you're just not hungry because you're getting all the nutrients. You're getting all the vitamins and minerals in your meals. So your body doesn't get hungry. You don't go into a hypoglycemic state where you feel hungry uh, all the time. Right. So it actually, people will say, well, you're eating less calories you're still eating quite a bit of calories. Quite a bit of calories because we do use copious amounts of butter. Copious amounts of butter. So, and you get a lot of lot of um, of your vitamins and minerals in butter. Butter is very nutritious. What a lot of people will say is what what is going to happen to your gut health. So let's since you mentioned butter, let's talk about the uh, food for our gut being one major one being butyrate. And butter is a great source of butyrate. So if you're eating butter, real butter, not margarine, not fake butter of whatever. I can't believe it's not butter. But I can't real, believe they sell it in stores. I can't believe it. So real butter, you know, milk or cream rather, and maybe salt or just cream, then you're getting a really good source of all kinds of nutrients. Uh, we won't even list them here because it's a lot. You're getting all of these fat-soluble vitamins, you're getting butyrate to feed your good gut bugs. And that's something that leads us to one of the other topics is that what happens to your poop? What happens to your poop? People always say, don't you need fiber? Well, the answer is no, you, you don't. Uh, we've been doing this for 48 days. Uh, so basically that's no fiber. No fiber. And Not a single, oh man, and I was a veggie eater too. I mean, that was like, I thought it was going to be super hard. I mentioned that I think in our first podcast mm-hmm. that that was I thought that was going to be really difficult for me, and it it wasn't. So I've heard I've read this online where people say if you eat only meat, it's gonna get you're gonna get compacted and get diverticulitis. <laughs> That's completely untrue. Um, what happened What happened to me was your stool got very watery there in the middle. It just went to nothing but water. So that's the complete opposite of being backed up, uh, which makes, if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. I ate no fiber and I got very watery stool. And then it levels out and your poop just changes into something that's very small. Right. So you don't have babies anymore. No, uh, you know, sorry guys, you're not going to have this massive poop where you can tell your other buddies how big your turd was. You're going to have... <laughs> You're going to have what they, looks like caveman poop. It's just a little poop about this big. So that's, I thought was very interesting that your your poop just changes. Right. And, you know, the same thing really happened to me. It was for about two weeks, it was pretty loose, loosey goosey. And then, you know, all of a sudden it just changes again and you have kind of, no, it's normal, but it's just not much of it. And the reason why is because when you eat protein, that is absorbed in the small intestine. 95% of it gets absorbed. And we're going to do a whole episode just on digestion because anytime someone is changing their diet in any way, if their digestion isn't working correctly, then they're not going to get the benefits of any dietary change. Yeah, pretty much um, it doesn't matter what you're eating. If it's if you if you can't absorb it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. So we will talk about that at length on another episode. But just know that your stomach is supposed to break down protein into polypeptides and amino acids, which go down into your small intestine. It gets absorbed in the small intestine. Any little leftovers that might be there... You do have a little bit of waste, and um, that 
goes to your colon and it feeds your gut bacteria and then it gets moved on out as fecal matter. So remember, we were already keto, so we were already taking in a lot of fat. We just eliminated all carbs altogether. We, we were doing a small amount, less than 20 grams to be keto. Um, we eliminated those all together. So, and we had some uh, digestive adjustment. So, if you're someone that that you don't eat keto now, and you're just you know say you're following a, a just a regular healthy diet, and you try something like this, you need to expect that your digestive system is going to make some adjustments on you. It will. It will definitely because you're changing your microbiome, and there are not enough studies yet on the microbiome and what's going on down there. But we do know that there's more gut bugs than there are cells of our body. So really, it rules the roost. It is really what governs our health. So we do want that to be healthy. And if you, like you said, if you haven't been doing a higher fat diet, transitioning slowly is super important, or you're going to just expect that it's going to be a little difficult at first, especially if you're coming from a low fat, higher carbohydrate diet, you're going to have some some days where it might get a little rough. Just be aware. Yeah, it'll just be interesting. That's all. And again, this was an experiment we did, and we decided to keep going with it because Honestly, physically, I didn't feel a whole lot of change. Like my energy levels never fluctuated. I still had great energy. Uh, I didn't feel like my sleep changed. You know, still working out, still, you know, doing everything we do on a daily basis. As far as physically how I felt, I felt just fine. You know, we mentioned the vitamin C issue. Mm -hmm. You're told, hey, you need to eat all these fruits and vegetables to get your vitamin C. And we know that a big problem without sufficient vitamin C is scurvy. Glucose and vitamin C compete for the same receptors, the same GLUT1 receptors in the molecules. So if you're eating a lot of glucose, uh, <laughs> you don't absorb vitamin C very well because the, they have to go in the same door. And glucose wins every time. That's why the recommended daily amount of vitamin C is so high. If you're not eating any carbohydrates, you're not, you don't have a lot of glucose, then you don't need as much vitamin C to get it into the cell. That's why, you know, when people say that, well, how do you get your vitamin C? What a lot of people don't know is that fresh beef is a source of vitamin C. This book here, uh, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston A. Price, first published in 1939. He went around and basically surveyed a lot of the primitive racial stocks of the world. What he found was, is also the people that had great teeth were also very healthy. And one thing they never ate uh, was sugar and flour because they had not been exposed to it yet. So a lot of the research he did were with these primitive uh, people who had not been exposed to the modern diet. And one of the things he points out in his book is he never found a primitive race of people that survived on a vegetable-only diet. He did find some, but he said he described they had bad teeth and a severe physical degeneration. So that's what he saw in his travels, and this is back in the 20s, Again, the book was first published yeah. back to the 1939. So he details very much on how people lived on mostly animal protein, small amounts of vegetables and fruits. If someone had any type of grain or any vegetables, a lot of times they fermented them right. or they soaked them. If they had nuts, they soaked and sprouted them. Some things that we just don't do now because of convenience and we've lost that art, what we call innate intelligence that these people survived on because knowing what we know about fruits and vegetables now and especially like when we go and we talk about vegetables and lectins and beans and lectins and things that actually can be harmful to your body and cause inflammation, 
that these people knew that if they soaked them, right. they could get rid of those lectins or cut them significantly. Even though they might not have known the, the word lectin, they knew that they felt better when they prepared them that way. So he gives plenty of examples in the book of people that lived exclusively on animal products and no or minimal fruits and vegetables. Most of them, some of them had like tubers, just, uh-huh. just small plants that they could gather only at certain times of the year. The rest of the year, they survived uh, specifically off animal products, and they and they were very very healthy. Well, I think about it like this: when we go driving out of our town and we're driving down the freeway and I look around and all I see are cows and horses and sheep. I don't see a lot of vegetation I can eat. I've been through survival school. Right. So we spent, you know, seven days out in the field. You had to survive. Uh, just let me tell you, if you're out in the field and you have to survive survive on only vegetables, I don't, I would have never made it. You are hunting down every animal you can find and you're eating it. Uh, I caught a rabbit, a squirrel, a snake, uh, and this is up in the mountains in Washington. So, you know, plenty of, of vegetation up there. Uh, a lot of it you can't eat. And then what you can, you can't eat enough of. Imagine this, you know, I always think about what about primitive people and the first person that had to taste something, a berry or something, and it was poisonous. Well, and they're you, like, you talked about before about how they did that. They just put some on their tongue. Right. And saw how they felt, whether their heart rate increased or they started to feel bad. Yeah. And that's how they figured out whether or not they could eat certain berries because there's there's a lot of berries you cannot eat. <laughs> right. Mushrooms, all kinds of things that will just kill you. It will kill you. Most primitive people, they learn that over time, and that was knowledge that was passed down generation to generation, what you could or could not eat, or what food was good for medicine and what was not good for medicine. Right. So. If you watch animals, they do this. They nibble something to see if it's good for them, mm-hmm. and if it's not, they keep going. We need to get back to that as human beings. Exactly. And so we've talked about our vitamin C. Um, let's talk a little bit about our blood work. We do check our blood to make sure that we're not doing anything that's going to affect our health, <clears throat> and we've had it done before. We, uh, we did it at around the 32-day mark with, with this diet, and we got it back, and what was interesting was my cholesterol and your cholesterol as well actually went down. Now, we, we don't have the full lipid profile, uh, so when we get that in, we're going to talk about that a little more, but we've got the basic profile, <laughs> which if you go to a doctor, mm-hmm. they'll do a cholesterol test. Uh, my cholesterol uh, went down by about 60 points. And mine, um, so it went down from 360-something to 259. Now, you have to remember, this is the normal uh, cholesterol panel, which is what most people get. You have to get a lipid profile to really dial down and find out what's going on with your cholesterol. And we could talk about that in in a different episode. One big thing that we look at in our blood work would be our triglyceride to HDL ratio. What's more important than your total cholesterol, which total cholesterol we know is not a factor in heart health. It's, it's really important to understand what cholesterol actually does in the body. It is involved if there is a heart problem, a, mm-hmm. a vascular problem. It's the spackle that goes in and patches over any tears in those arterial veins and things like that. So if you get a, basically like a snag, that's Sorry. our train. That's our train. We live close to the uh, tracks in a small town in Texas, and that's our train. It comes often. I'm surprised it hasn't been back twice right. already. Right, first time, yeah. So Almost keep going. Almost done. He honks several times. He really wants us to know they're that there's a train. They're very thorough in their, their honking of the horn. Very. Sometimes overly thorough. 
And they all have their different pattern too, which is interesting. Yeah. It's we're train we're train horn connoisseurs basically. We are <laughs> train horn connoisseurs. So triglyceride, let's get back on track. <clears throat> okay, here. Back to triglycerides. Back to on our it. train tracks. Triglyceride to HDL ratio is something that we look at. And what I was saying about cholesterol is it's really just the spackle. It's cholesterol as an antioxidant in your body that fights off infection and disease and all these things. And right. it's it's a very important part of your body because every single cell of your body is made of cholesterol. What you don't want are high triglycerides. Triglycerides are the fat that floats around in your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. You don't want that. You don't want fatty blood. Our doctor actually did tell us that we were talking about blood tests and he said it's really interesting to watch someone with high, super high triglycerides have their blood drawn because it's very yellowy fat. It looks yellowy. It's the fat in the blood. And what he actually said was, "You, it looks like something you could just take out and spread on a piece of bread, and like <laughs> yeah. it was like it's butter." You would think that eating fat, you would have a lot of fat in your blood. That's what we've always been um, told. But or, but not true. Right. My triglycerides. So let's just remember that triglycerides under 100 are like, you're a rock star. My triglycerides are 58. Mm-hmm. So I don't have very much fat floating around in my blood. Which is which a good is, thing. So having high cholesterol is good. It's the composition. It's inside. The numbers inside your cholesterol is what you need to pay attention to. And HDL, which we don't really like getting into the bad cholesterol, good cholesterol, HDL, LDL, one's good, one's bad, because they're all, they all have their their purpose. They all have to be there. You have to have all these things. And we'll talk all about the whole mechanism of what HDL and LDLs are actually doing in your body in another episode. So you take your triglycerides and you divide that by your HDL number, and you're going to get a ratio. A ratio under 2.0 is ideal. Do you want to tell them what ours was? So Melody's ratio was less than 1. It was 0.8, which is outstanding. 0.8. Mine was 1.4, which again... I'm not going to scoff at that whatsoever. I think it's great. We do have to re- remember that right before you had blood drawn, you had been fighting a cold for about a week. Right. And so so th- th- that did cause some interesting things in my blood work. Uh, my T3 was a little low and my neutrophils were low. But those both go back to an infection. Neutrophils are part of your immune system. They're antibodies. So if you aren't familiar with that, if you're sick and you're fighting an infection, your neutrophils and basophils and eosinophils are always in a ratio. His neutrophils went lower because he was using all of them Mm -hmm. to fight an infection. And it came back exactly the way we expected. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that we also had checked was our homocysteine levels. Elevated homocysteine actually goes kind of hand in hand in case you have a problem methylating B vitamins, which is, uh, some people may know, the MTHFR gene mutation where you can't methylate B vitamins. It's actually a really good test to have done um, that will give you a window into whether you might have some uh, 
heart problems or right. Which vascular means problems. If, if you do have the MTHFR mutation, that means you have to take a different type of A methylated B, B vitamin. Since we eat a lot of animal products, our doctor just wanted to make sure that we didn't have that MTHFR gene mutation and that we were able to methylate our B vitamins appropriately, which I thought was a really good suggestion. Yeah, it's a a good test. Uh, Neither one of us had it. So after doing this for, you know, 30 days at that point, uh, there were no indications on our blood work that what we were doing was unhealthy whatsoever. Nothing. One question that I had was how will this affect hormones Mm -hmm. and especially female hormones? Um, Will it throw them off balance or will they become unbalanced? Will they balance more? And (laughs) I have to say that when we're talking about female issues, anyone with PMS and that struggles with any kind of female problems, it actually was great. I have seen only improvements. Right. So if you're a female and you're looking to minimize that one time a month where you just don't feel good or you have cramps or you're very moody... (laughs) I'm not saying anybody ever was. Okay, I will say that when you looked at me for two months in a row and said, I didn't know you were about to start, I knew I was on to something. So in the past, I knew. I knew when it was that time of the month, and you guys can identify with this, when your your spouse becomes a little little, uh, different, a little emotional, a little more... Crabby. I talk a little bit higher pitch sometimes. Uh, things you do might annoy her a little more than you usual. Don't annoy me. Guys know what I'm talking about. If you want to fix that, if you're a female and you want to try to fix that, this is this has been great for yes, I, making your hormones more regulated. I think that when you looked at me and said, I had no idea you were about to start, that was just like, what? I normally he would tell me, like after the fact, I would say, Oh, I started. And he would say, yeah, I knew it was coming like three days ago. Yeah, I knew. I knew. <laughs> so uh, if so, if anybody, I kind of need to wrap it up. I, we're getting to that point. We do. But I wanted to talk about hormones. They're so important. Do you have more to say? No. Okay. Okay, so we covered hormones. We got it. Thanks for listening to the Tasco Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to btkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.